No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pathfinder Q&A panel here at PaizoCon Online 2022. I want to welcome you all to the panel. Hi, I am Jason Bullman. I'm the Director of Game Design at Paizo, and I'll be the moderator for this panel. Uh, before we get too deep into the giant mountain of news and spoilers that we have to go over, I want to toss it around the horn and let everybody introduce themselves. Logan, you're next, uh, you're next to me, so why don't you kick it off? Hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer, which means I do a whole lot of development on the books, uh, advising other teams, and kind of keeping an eye on the rules as a whole uh, to make sure everything is is going smoothly. Hi, I'm James Case. I'm a senior designer at uh, Paizo, and I also work on Pathfinder, kind of helping to run books and design various things in them. Uh, my current project that is coming down the pipeline is Dark Archive, which is coming out later this summer. Hey, and I am Michael Sayre, the other senior designer on the team here. I also uh, create new books and, uh, you know, help uh, plan ideas and do all the other things that uh, my coworkers help me do. Uh, and as people found out at the beginning of this convention, the book I'm working on right now is Treasure Vault, which we'll be talking about shortly. That's right. Yeah, we've got to, we've got a lot of exciting things to get through here today, and I want to make sure we save some time for some Q and A at the end because that is, in fact, the the title of the panel. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I do want to talk kind of about Pathfinder Two E, where we're at, where we've been, where we're going, uh, and uh, what books we've got coming out. So. Uh, you know, here we are. It is 2022. The game came out in uh, 2019, so we're cresting into the game's third year. And, you know, in the first couple of years, we put out a lot. There's a lot of books we've put out uh, up to this point. Uh, it is a ridiculous amount. Look at all that. That's a lot of work. And, I'm tired uh, you just know, looking at them. Yeah, no, I, I literally get exhausted just looking at those books. Um, but, you know, the top two rows of this image are really kind of the core of the game. And that's, you know, that's what we focused on for most of 2019 and into 2020. Uh, and even a bit into 2021 was getting out the kind of core of the game, the books that we expected everybody to have uh, at their game tables. But after that, the bottom row is kind of where we started going off and exploring brand new topics, talking about books that, you know, focus in on various aspects of the game uh, that allow you to kind of expand your game system in interesting and new ways. And that's kind of what we're doing from this point forward. So down there on the bottom, obviously, you've got Secrets of Magic. Uh, you know, that is a, a fantastic book focusing on the various aspects of magic. Uh, Logan, give me the three sentence uh, write-up of Secrets of Magic. <laughs> uh, add more magical stuff to your game. Play Gish characters, uh, play summoners, uh, fiddle with every little uh, dial and setting on magic in your campaign. Yeah, and, you know, uh, a book that also adds two new exciting classes to the game, uh, the Magus and the Summoner uh, made their appearance in Secrets of Magic, and we followed that up with Guns and Gears, 
another exciting expansion to the game. Mike, three, three, four sentences on Guns and Gears. Go. <laughs> Guns and Gears is the book to bring your uh, boomsticks and steampunk into Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's got the Inventor class who plays with all kinds of gadgets and gizmos, and it's got the Gunslinger who shoots stuff real good with guns and crossbows and it has all of the supporting little elements and goodies that you would want to go along with that uh, everything from you know cannons to muskets to even weirder weaponry and gadgetry so yeah these two books do kind of are, are both trying to kind of do the same basic function they add everything you need to kind of in one package to really amp up one theme in your game, right? You know, here's all the technology stuff you need. Here's some classes. Here's the equipment that goes with it. You know, that, that was Guns and Gears. Secrets of Magic. Here's some classes. Here's a bunch of spells. Here's a bunch of magical-based subsystems and things like that to really make magic a big focus on your game. Now, with Book of the Dead, we did something a little different uh, in that it didn't quite have the same total focus it was focused a bit more on the gm side and this book just came out so i do want to talk a little bit about it just because it is our most recent release um and and logan you were the lead on this book so why don't you give us a a, a brief tour of the of the terror that lives within yeah i think in keeping with secrets of magic and guns and gears book of the dead is like we want it to feel like the total package um, so like if you look at guns and gears, it's not like, oh, well, there's eight types of guns that we didn't include in here, but they'll be in a later book. It's like, no, if you want guns, you buy that book. Similarly, Book of the Dead is like, if you want a bunch of undead, here's a bunch of undead. Uh, if you want to become a mummy, you can play as undead. Uh, if you want to uh, learn about places where there are a lot of undead, you can read up on the lands of the dead. It's really like, let's throw this theme full full speed into your game. Uh, that's what Book of the Dead is for, is getting all your vampires, all your uh, night uh, shades, all your mummies and zombies, and a whole bunch of lore and cool information you can tweak and put into your, your setting in your game. Yeah, it really started with a focus of like, how can we, you know, when, when, when talking about undead, what's every way you might interact with them at the table? <laughs> Killing them, being them, fighting them, you know, writing stories about them, right? It, it kind of approaches it from, from really every angle. I, everybody had a, had a, had a, had a big hand in making this book happen. Um, you know, for my part, uh, my favorite part, I, I, I love the adventure. I can't wait until people get a chance to play it. I haven't heard any, <laughs> any terrifying stories about it yet, but I know they will come eventually. Uh, it just takes time for people to make room in their gaming schedules. Does, do, do folks have favorite bits in this book? I, I want to toss it around the horn. Anybody got anything that's their, their favorite bit from book of the dead that you want to see people play with? Mike, we'll start at uh, you at the I'll, end. Okay. Oh, we'll start with Logan. Oh, go. <laughs> uh, we'll go in the same order as intros. Yeah. Um, sure. I think one of the coolest things is the playable undead uh, part because we had horror adventures had kind of like get corrupted over time stuff. Uh, this is more like specifically focused on the undead. I think we'll get some cool vampire PCs and, uh, you know, uh, skeletons walking around. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in there that can create some really memorable campaigns. Um, if I had to pick something from Book of the Dead, I love Geb because Geb is sort of the point of view character 
of the book, um, even starting kind of as back in Secrets of Magic. I know Logan especially was really big on getting kind of a character and a voice and making it feel like the Book of the Dead is a thing that exists in the world of Galarian. And it's written not just by anybody, it's written by a, you know, a very old undead uh, undead necromancer who goes from sort of this, when I was alive and I scoffed at undeath to now that I have realized that being undead is the superior way to be. Um, and you kind of see his his personality change. And honestly, he also just has a lot of just classic evil villain disdain that comes across really strong <laughs> in the writing. Um, so I really liked the new monsters and I particularly enjoyed writing the Deathless Acolyte as, uh, and its, you know, companion, the Deathless Hierophant, as a, uh, as a fun kind of, like, I need an evil cleric, but I don't want to deal with all of the, like, you know, mechanics of having a full-on cleric that I've got to run at the table. So here's a really cool monster that drops in and does a lot of, like, oh, God, that's going to suck type stuff to the players. Uh, you know, all the new monsters are just so fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is so much good stuff in this book. Everyone's touched on things that I really love about this book, right? Uh, you know, from skeleton PCs, I I personally really want to make like a skeleton bard that plays his own rib cage as an instrument. Um, I, I think that would be great. Uh, I do love Geb's kind of snarky attitude throughout the book, right? You know, his I, I, I particularly enjoyed writing some of his disdain for various types of undead that are just like, well... If you don't learn how to master skeletons and zombies, what are you even doing? Uh, you know, just like, this is your most basic tool. Um, you know, and the monsters in there, there's just so many great, great uh, pieces, some of which are, are, are callbacks from first edition, um, you know, and then there's a whole bunch of new stuff as well. So this book has something for kind of everybody. Um, you know, uh, GMs, of course, get a lot of mileage on a Book of the Dead, but there's a lot of great stuff in there for players too. So I, I'm really excited to do more stuff like this and more books with kind of a voice, a flavor to them. Books that are actually exciting to read and not just use as reference materials. Because let's be honest, the core rulebook is a giant reference book. It's not exactly a riveting page turner. <laughs> but I do think with something like Book of the Dead, right? Like flipping through the book and reading the bits of Geb's lore and stuff is a highlight of the book. And it's something we definitely carry going forward. So Let's let's move on from Book of the Dead, unless anybody has any last minute anecdotes they want to add to that. Nope. I'm surprised Mike right. didn't say the grappling spirit. <laughs> the undead lucha. I, oh, there is. Yeah. You're not <laughs> Sunday. By this point in time, I assume Luis has told at least five different panels about the grappling <laughs> spirit in the book. Okay, carry on. I I I love how people latch on to various things and we can never exactly predict it never like know what it's gonna the, be. The, the the reddit community really latched onto the skeleton or the ghost puppers that is now like it pops up oh, the in, old the, friend in the guy. banner yeah the you know uh there's there's a lot of great stuff in there the 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 the, the ghostly wrestler right skeleton npcs <laughs> or pcs it's all fantastic all right so let's let's move on uh to the next book on our uh schedule and i believe this book doesn't come out now for let's see what is that about a, about two months still until the months, release yeah. of dark archive now we did a whole panel on this but i want to make sure we give you all the lowdown on this so i want to toss it over to you james to kind of walk us through this book you were the lead on this book so why don't you why don't you take it away 
Yeah, so if Secrets of Magic was about magic and Guns and Gears was about boom, Dark Archive is about weird. This is a deep dive into the paranormal in Galarian. Uh, uh, for those of you who might have been familiar with especially organized play in first edition, you might know that the Dark Archive was a faction that existed to sort of catalog the unknown. Uh, and that now in second edition, the Dark Archive doesn't exist. Um, in the story, it kind of got folded back into the Pathfinder Society, but this book, um, kind of getting back to this trend of having uh, a narrator write the book, was written by a character who we refer to just as the lone archivist, who basically, as uh, you know, as the building was getting shut down and everybody's clearance was being revoked, he just kind of grabbed these eight case files and booked it out. Uh, and he knew that there was something tying these eight case files together. So this book, uh, first of all, gives you the tools to become sort of a paranormal investigator and archivist. Uh, and one of the ways that it does that is with two new classes that we are introducing in this book, the psychic and the thaumaturge. Uh, the psychic is our new, oh yeah, here we go. So here's a good shot of our two new iconics um, investigating some kind of library or vault. And uh, you can see everything's in, it's all warded up and make sure that none of that, none of that cursed stuff gets out. Um, the psychic is an occult spellcaster. Uh, so um, this is a full casting class. Uh, unlike a lot of other classes, it has a lot more of a focus on cantrips and the ability and the unique ability to spend focus points to make those cantrips more powerful. You know, in a lot of this sort of paranormal fiction, if you're a psychic, you can kind of just use your power as much as you want. And that's the thing that we tried to get across here. Um, by giving you, you know, cantrips, the spells that you can cast all the time. So that's one thing they have. Um, the other thing that's unique about the psychic is that instead of having a single bloodline or a single deity for something like a cleric, the psychic has a unique mix of a subconscious mind, which is how they cast. So that can be something like you cast from your emotions or you cast because you've learned a lot of sort of specific lore. And that will set your casting ability as either charisma or intelligence. Uh, and then they have a conscious mind, which is what they cast. So that's something like the distant grasp, which gives you telekinesis, or the unbound step, which lets you teleport and phase and kind of bend space. So we have uh, with four subconscious minds and six conscious minds, you can get this really huge range of psychics just with that combination alone, um, not even looking at the feats. Uh, so that's your, your character who kind of unleashes the unknown. The character that studies the unknown is the Thaumaturge. Uh, you can see them in that shot again, just completely loaded up with gear. This is your kind of quintessential sort of uh, mystic investigator, detective, that sort of monster hunter. The Thaumaturge uh, is not a spellcaster, but they have a large number of mystic abilities and implements that let them kind of investigate strange monsters uh, and then bring their weaknesses to bear against them. This could be something like you see a werewolf and the thaumaturge might rack their brain and be like, well, I have a bit of silver here. And I can use that to, you know, I know that this will harm the werewolf and then that will allow them to do more damage. But they can also go with a bit of more um, abstract and kind of almost more of a soft magic approach to this. So if you're fighting say, uh, an undead of some kind, and you and that's maybe an undead that doesn't have any weaknesses, maybe the Thaumaturge pulls out like a fresh flower that represents life, and that will help to help them, you know, combat the undead. Um, 
they're a full martial class, so they, you know, with the ability to sort of key in on enemy weaknesses, they can deal a lot of damage. And they have a wide range of mystic implements that give them other supportive abilities. So this can be like an amulet to turn away harm, or the regalia, which can be a scepter or a flag that helps kind of inspire your allies around you. Um, so they're a very kind of eclectic, uh, but also very powerful class. So now, with those two classes, yeah. Um, both of these went two... through both of these went through a deep play test, right? Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to kind of learn a little bit about how they evolve from their playtest versions, mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of give folks uh, an idea about what kind of new things they might be able to expect. Yeah, um, the playtest for both of these classes, you know, I know we just had our playtesting panel earlier. Um, it was very extensive. Uh, and I want to just say thank you to everybody for trying out classes and sending in feedback. Um, the Psychic was a pretty experimental playtest. It was kind of just throw the most extreme version of everything out there and see how it played. Um, the Psychic in its revision has a bit more of a, uh, I know in the playtest, one thing they had is this ability called Psyche, where if there are a certain number of rounds of combat, they could go full, like my mind is unleashed, deal a lot of damage. Um, it was powerful, but it was kind of taking too long to get into it. A lot of people said that, you know, combat is ending before I can, you know, my mind can explode. Um, so one thing is that now it's a lot easier to get into your psyche. You can get in probably on maybe the second round of combat or, you know, with some feats, you can play with that a little bit more. Uh, and then that allowed us to kind of smooth out some power, you know, make it so you can kind of always do the cool thing. Uh, and with that, we were also able to make something like the focus, the focus spells be a lot more powerful uh, and also add in a bunch of really cool abilities that you can use in Psyche. Um, these aren't spells. They're mostly one action. And they're just little things that help you really feel like a psychic when your mind is unleashed. So um, one is just a burst of damage. You can just not even cast a spell. You can just, you know, wham someone with your mind when your Psyche is unleashed. Um, other ones depend on kind of your choice of subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. If you have precise discipline, which is all about calculation, you have an ability that lets you kind of predict incoming attacks so you can dodge them, that kind of thing. So basically, we took a lot of the power that was there and we gave it to you a little bit earlier and smoothed it out. So it should be a much more consistent sort of uh, access to, to getting to do the cool thing there. Uh, Thaumaturge, most of it uh, focused on kind of how you perform uh, your... Uh, exploit vulnerabilities uh, in the playtest, which is your ability to first identify a creature and then exploit its weaknesses. Here we've kind of brought it together, so it's a bit, little bit simpler of an ability uh, to use. It doesn't take up quite so much of your action to sort of shift your attention onto a creature, uh, and it plays with recall knowledge in a way that doesn't, um, you know, doesn't get into the thing where if it's a, a rare creature, it's harder for you to identify. Um, we also took some of the really popular abilities that everybody said they were taking, like rule of three, for instance, where you kind of keep, you kind of keep presenting the, uh, the bad thing to the monster to intensify its vulnerability. And we just kind of gave it to you as a class feature. So now that's a thing where, depending on what your implement is, when you uh, present the implement again, it gets like a, it gets a more powerful effect of some kind. Uh, let me see if I can find one here. That'll be good. It does remind me of just like, you know, the the priest throwing holy water at them again and again until eventually they're just drenched. I mean, we have that. The we have the feet where you just pull out you. We have the feet where you pull out three holy symbols and you're like, oh, one of these is going to work, you know. Yeah. Um, Whichever one you find defensive. <laughs> yeah. 
So something like the mirror, for instance, which plays with perception when you, you know, usually when you do it, you can kind of reflect a duplicate of yourself somewhere else. It's all about deception. When you kind of intensify harder with it, you know, you get concealed. It like warps their vision of you and that kind of thing. So it gets a lot of these really cool, like sort of uh, more symbolic abilities, but basically easier to lock onto a target and easier to exploit their vulnerabilities once you've kind of sh shifted your attention onto them. Which were the new implements we added after the playtest? Because I know that, that not all of them were in the playtest because we wanted to kind of focus on a handful of things, but we added some new implements. What are the new ones? Yeah, so the the Thaumaturge has this very like kind of classic folkloric theme to it. So thrice three is kind of the theme there. You have three active ones you can use on your turn, three reactive ones that you can use to, you know, for various disrupting abilities, and three passive benefits. Uh, the, f uh, the ones that we added after the playtest are the Tome, which passively records information and helps you kind of learn. The Mirror, which I just mentioned, which lets you reflect and play with perception. The Bell, which you ring when people do things to interrupt them, which uh, I really like. Uh, and the Regalio, which is something like a flag or a jeweled orb or a scepter that you hold and kind of helps buff their, your allies around you. Orbs are very popular these days. I approve of these choices. I like a right. little flag. Uh, I like the flag. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's nice too. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So the book it's is like... the book is a lot more about classes. I'm not sure if anybody else has anything they want to add about the classes on this book. You know, they were they were a lot of us had our hands in them throughout the process. Uh, Mike, yeah. Logan, the two of you want to add anything about the classes? Um, I would just say. You know, as as someone who was uh, as someone who was talking to James and Mark both, I think almost constantly from like <laughs> the moment they started working on these through the playtest to development afterwards, it was really amazing to see these really really great ideas that they started with just refine more and more and more and more and more. And I'm really happy about the final version of these. You know, uh, not just as a member of the design team, but as someone who is planning on playing with both of them in hopefully the not too distant future. Yeah. I, 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 I always think that this is the best way to build like Hellboy or Constantine, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's, I've got all these odds and ends then, and one of them's going to work. I just got to find the right one. Hold yeah. on everybody. I'll figure it out. We can kill this devil. I got it. <laughs> I think the three um, that we kept coming back to were Hellboy, Constantine parentheses, Keanu version. And Harry Dresden Fair. were kind of the three yeah, that we yeah, had. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was specifically the Keanu version. That's very true. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, uh, James, why don't I toss it back to you if you want to if you want to continue uh, talking about yeah. what else we can find. Yeah, in so, that, so that's the, uh, the training manual. That's how you become an archivist. But uh, then you have these eight case files you have to deal with. Each case file is a dive into a different paranormal topic. Um, and each one begins with a bit of insetting lore from this lone archivist uh, who goes by, who signs all of the notes as just the initials KHW. Um, these go all around Galarian. They go for a very scattered thing. So some might be from the Inner Sea, some might be from Arcadia, a couple are from Tiansha, a couple are from Kazmaron, um, but they're scattered throughout each case file. And these case files are on cryptids, which are unexplained monsters, secret societies, and kind of the people who uh, scheme with them. Deviant abilities, which are your classic unexplained supernatural powers you might get from like a glowing meteorite or something like that. Mirrors and imposters for all of your uh, duplicates and doppelganger shenanigans. 
cults about lost and forgotten religion, curses and pacts about these kind of things that sink deep into your soul, temporal anomalies about what happens when, as I believe Tessa described it yesterday, how time gets really junked up, and mindscapes or these kind of abstract lands of thought and imagination. So each one starts with lore to tell you what is this thing, uh, and then has a bunch of things in the middle that are, you know, these could be anything from spells to magic items to archetypes or feats, or to even uh, GM subsystems that they can use to kind of bring this thing into your game. It really depends on what's in there. So something like cryptids has adjustments, uh, like the rumored cryptid that you can put this uh, adjustment onto a monster to make it, you know, harder to identify and able to kind of blur out of perception. Or there might be one where it's maybe escaped from an experimental lab and has, you know, a bunch of alchemical or mechanical things coming out of it. Um, something like Mirrors and Imposters has a new versatile heritage, the reflection versatile heritage, where you are playing as a, someone's mirror duplicate, either because you came out of a, a mirror or, you know, you had a clone spell gone wrong or something like that. Um, but I think one that I'm very excited to share to share that I know that a lot of people have been asking on in some way, shape, or form is the Mindsmith. This is something from the Mindscapes file, and this is all about imagining something so hard it becomes real. I know that a lot of people enjoyed something in first edition called the Gloomblade, where you got to sort of project a shadow weapon, uh, and that this kind of theme of making a uh, you know a psychic blade of some kind. Uh, is very popular. Um, I actually, in my first uh, in-office game, I played a Gloomblade with uh, Ron and Owen and Eleanor and Luis and Mike, and actually. There. And Mike, I got to you. I got to you. Um, so uh, this is one that we thought we'd uh, throw up on the screen here as an example of like what kind of thing you might get from one of these case files is. Uh, I really like the Mind Blade. This is great. Um, and then at the end of each case file, you have a micro-adventure. This micro-adventure kind of tells a, a tale of um, going kind of around Galarian to each one of these case files and then investigating the sort of paranormal thing that led you here in the first place. Kind of like Doomsday Dawn, our playtest adventure, uh, you know, it skips from level to level and it kind of uh, pings you all across Galarian. You know, there's an adventure in Irisen, there's an adventure in Arcadia, there's an adventure in Agoka, in Tiansha, for instance. Um, so basically, each case file will take you through, learn about the paranormal, gain tools to kind of bring the paranormal to your table, and then like have a close encounter with the paranormal like in the context of the adventure. Um, each one of the adventures was written by a different author, and they each have some really cool different uh, takes on the paranormal. Some are more diplomacy heavy, some are more dungeon delvey, and some do some really weird things that I haven't seen too much in our published adventures. And I am very much looking forward to people getting a chance to sink their teeth into. The kind of the last thing we have are a number of these one page incident reports that are just, these were free pitches from authors. Mm -hmm. They said, other than, uh, other than a, a paranormal trope that we're already doing, you know, a major case file on, it's just something. Uh, and we got everything there from a one page report on a town where everybody is born a twin to a one-page report on a mysterious structure made out of sand uh, in the shackles that everybody is really fascinated with. So each one of these is like a, a one-page report, and it ends with a little widget of some kind. That could be a feat. It could be a magic item. Uh, it could be a spell to kind of let you bring that to your table and that GMs can use to maybe spring off their own paranormal one-shots. So yeah, that's the Dark Archive. I love my favorite mini 
case file is the anvil duck. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> the is, anvil duck, which favorite... the anvil duck, which which is a duck. I will not be commenting further on it. It is a duck. <laughs> I loved I loved the art order. This is actually X, but I can't be clear enough. It needs to be a duck. It needs to be a Michael, duck that a is duck. in the exact position X would be in. Michael, it is a duck. <laughs> I know it's a duck. I know. <laughs> okay. That that's that's one of the things I really do uh, enjoy about this book is that there's a little something for everybody. You know, depending on where you want to take your campaign, where you want to take your stories, there's something in here for you. With with the eight different case files, there's tons of different directions you can take this. You can pick up one of them and add it to your game. All of them are strange and weird and mysterious. I personally am really excited to add more cult stuff to my game. I love cults uh, in, in, my, in my games and my stories. Uh, I was wondering if I could toss around the horn and just talk about, uh, give everybody a chance to talk about something they're excited to uh, see at their table sometime in the near future. I think, I think Mike, you got Anvil Duck, so you, you're going to get a while <laughs> to think of a new one. Logan, Logan, what do you got? Uh, what, are, what are you excited about in Dark Archive? Uh, well, originally I was going to talk about the other cryptid adjustments, um, which are uh, primeval and mutant, but I'll just toss that out quickly and instead talk about the aftermath feats that are in the cryptid section, uh, which I don't think we spoiled on the panel, but it might have appeared in the chat sometime after that, so I'm not sure. Um, but they are feats that you can take only after a, a monster encounter. So like if you got petrified, you can later take a, a something that calls back to that uh, that part of your adventuring pass. I like how that integrates with your long-term storytelling for your campaign. Oh, I do another one? I just did so many. Yeah, you, um, got, you got the whole book. Give more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, something we haven't talked about is in the mirror section, we have an archetype called the alter ego. Um, this is an archetype all about assuming a role and kind of using it to infiltrate. So um, this is a thing you could use to play a character who's like maybe so good at assuming a role that, you know, they can change their face very easily or even start to kind of look into the memories of the person who they're imitating, you know, a real like kind of uh, take somebody's place in society. And uh, maybe if you are good enough at it, uh, you can even start to uh, take over some of their, you know, mimic some of their skills and memories and that kind of thing. I think it's it's really cool. It has, I think it'd be good for kind of something like a rogue or a bard or anybody who's really focused on infiltration in a very kind of acting and uh, more sinister sense. Yeah, I um this book, we've, we've teased a lot of the art that is in this book, but it really is just an utterly gorgeous book. And uh, I know that uh, I think there was an archetype called like the psychic duelist or something along those lines, where we specifically uh, picked an iconic who was uh, inspired by the Arataki people of uh, our setting who are kind of a... Uh, um, you know, a North American indigenous uh, analog, but like, you know, far north, uh, Aleut, Inuit, uh, a, a little bit kind of inspired by that. And it's one of the coolest pieces of art I think I've seen in any of the books we did. I just, James Case sent it to me, uh, I think as soon as it came in, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no changes. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, I really have to shout out the art direction for this book. Uh Sarah Robinson and Sonia Morris did an absolutely stellar job. Um, this book had a lot of really weird 
art requirements in it. You know, it's the first time we've had this many maps in a book because, you know, we have all these micro adventures and micro adventures need maps. Uh, and it has, you know, I was like, the art for the Mindscape is I sent, it takes place in uh, the Mongi Expanse somewhere. And so I sent the concept art for the Mongi Expanse and then I sent three MC Escher <laughs> etchings. <laughs> I just gave them to Sonia and I said, this please. Um, I will drop that well, art one, in the Discord afterwards. One of my favorite little details uh, about this book was that uh, as I was going through one of my later passes, I noticed that we had the word redacted spelled out in a few places. And I was like, hey, Art, can you just take a black marker and put it across that? I just want it to be redacted. Uh, and that, you know, it's a lot of fun. So uh, there's there's a lot of fun in this book. I, I'm really excited to uh get uh it in folks's hands here uh in just a few months we are we are just a few months away so i think in the next few months you can expect to hear a lot more about the dark archive as we get closer and closer to release uh and that will be coming out at this year's gen con uh shipping uh if the shipping gods allow uh <laughs> to the best of our knowledge we we know it's 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 still on schedule all right so let's move on uh, because we got uh, uh, just a little under 20 minutes left here. Let's move on to Treasure Vault. Mike, this this book has been your baby for uh, several months now. Why don't you take it away and uh, give us some news and info about this book? Yeah, so what you can see there, I am not 100% sure about the spine and the font, but that art is, in fact, the uh, the Wayne Reynolds cover art that is going to be on Treasure Vault. And the characters on it are, in fact, characters who you will meet and follow through the book. Uh, the little kobold there is Pereperin, and she's kind of your, uh, you know, your guide through the Treasure Vaults. And the vaults themselves have been kind of assembled and constructed by the underworld dragon, Valashinaz, uh, who is currently watching things go very poorly uh, for our kobold friend there. Uh, so there are six chapters in Treasure Vault, uh, and each of these, as you might imagine, are focusing on kind of different broad categories of gear. So chapter one is armor and armaments. It's got uh, new base armors, it's got a ton of new base weapons, uh, and some of this stuff is really cool. Uh, all of this stuff is really cool, but I think some <laughs> of it is particularly going to be exciting for some people who've been wondering. I've seen questions that are directly like, well, why hasn't, you know, Paizo done this? And it's like, well, we did. It just takes a while to get the book to you. It's been in my lap for the better part of a year. It'll still be a bit before it reaches you. But we are doing, you know, that stuff. There's a suit of Alkenstar Fortress Plate in the armors that has this big raised, you know, kind of shield guard pauldron. And you can lock that into place uh, with an interact action. So it's kind of like maybe you don't want to use a shield, but you still want to be able to, you know, block some bullets, some incoming arrows as you tank your way forward across the battlefield. Uh and again, some great weapons in there, like we've talked about. We've got some classics like the Falcata, the Earthbreaker, and Klar that were in PF1 and that people were really big fans of. And then we've got, you know, a lot of cool new stuff. Some of it very, you know, kind of practical and like, oh, I'm really surprised this wasn't already in the game. And some of it just completely off the wall with me going to James Case at, you know, like the middle of the day, like, listen... I need you to find me three anime clips that justify this weapon functioning the way I'm about to say it functions, just just so I can pull them up later when people ask how it works, 
Um, so just a huge array of cool, fun new stuff in there. <laughs> uh, chapter two is Alchemy Unleashed. If you like The Alchemist, this chapter is going to be really exciting for you. If you want to like The Alchemist but can't quite get there, this chapter is also probably going to be really <laughs> exciting for you. Uh, you know, we put a lot of stuff in here uh, to expand The Alchemist's play styles, their options. Uh, and I'm going to note... We're not just stopping here. You know, as part of getting this section done right, one of the things that I did was I dove through the core rulebook and I looked at the alchemist and I looked at all of the alchemist options that were there. And there were a couple places where I said, hey, guys, to really do this right, I think we need to fix something here. And uh, some of these fixes I started with, like, I just kind of want to put in a feat that does this in Treasure Vault so that chirurgeons can get access to more than just the three starting items they get. And Logan and Jason were like, well, don't put that in a feat in the book, man. Let's go, let's go back, revisit the core rule book and make sure that this thing can really take off from first level. So we're doing that. We're going back into the core rule book and we're visiting alchemist subpaths like the Chirurgeon. And we're going to give them a, a little bit of a gentle massage and a little love so that they can really take advantage of all of the stuff that we're bringing in in this Alchemy Unleashed section. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and if you don't play our game enough for any of that stuff to really matter for you, this has a flamethrower where you can just plug alchemist fires into it and then shoot lines of flame across the field. So that, that should be exciting for you. <laughs> if, if you can't uh, get excited about that, you can get excited about flamethrowers. <laughs> I, I would like to think so, right? A little something yeah. for everybody. Uh, oh, chapter three. <laughs> chapter three is momentary magic, and so this is all stuff that you use once and then you don't use again, except for maybe for like whatever its mundane purpose was. Right? This these are things that burn out after you use them, uh, and and then you you know you go and you buy something else and you use that. And the stuff that is in here is just bonkers, right? Like there is. <laughs> Uh, there's all the like kind of standard stuff you would expect with potions and oils and, and all of these things. But there's also like spell guns, which is like, I just want to put, you know, a lot of lightning into something that I can point and click. And I don't know command words or magic, but I want to shoot lightning at somebody at least once every couple sessions, right? So you pick yourself up a spell gun, you fire it off, the spell gun is consumed, and you did something kind of cool and magical. It's also got missives. I described this in a uh, forum post the other day, where a fireball is to whom it may concern, and wards are to you specifically, interloper coming in here. A missive is something where you put a name on it, right? You're like, Jason Bowman, this hey magical earworm... <laughs> is something that you will never be able to get out of your head. It is a kind of saucy limerick about you, and every time you hum it, somebody nearby is going to hear it, and your kingdom is going to be a really exciting place in about a week. Thank you for reading. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is just a lot of cool stuff that you kind of want to do once in a particular way, and then it's not really part of your routine, but it is something that you're always going to remember when you did it. Chapter four is trappings of power, and trappings of power is the permanent goodies, right? The things that don't go away after you use them, but which you can keep using continuously, or which reset after a certain period of time. And there's there's so much stuff in here. Like, it's really hard. It's such a big, diverse section. Uh, 
focus items. You know, uh, the druid had druid's vestments, which were like, if you've got a focus pool, here's an item that you wear that, you know, gives you a little bit more oomph out of your focus pool. We put those in for pretty much every class in the game that has a focus pool, their own kind of, you know, special version of that. Uh, robes, wands, magical tattoos. I'll let Logan answer some more questions about that in the Q&A. Uh, all of that stuff is is in here in big and exciting ways. Uh, and then chapter five, this one, you kind of have to be someone who's been playing the game to get really excited about, but if you have been playing the game, you probably will get real excited to know that there is an entire <laughs> chapter called Secrets of Crafting, and it's going to have alternate rules, variant rules, ways to tweak the rules so you can do different little things, you know? And this is everything from the... The kind of most basic, like, look, all I all I want is to make 10 arrows overnight, you know, and then have them ready the next day, to so the stuff like, I want to craft this cool big magic weapon, but my GM doesn't like having magic marts where you can just go and buy, you know, your, your cool magic sword, so... Here is, you know, this big kind of ritual story quest to go out and, all right, I need to kill this monster, this monster, then dip the horn and the fang into this volcano after I've assembled them, and that's how I get my awesome new, you know, plus three greater striking flaming longsword. All of that stuff is going to be in here and a whole bunch more. Uh, should be a real cool, uh, you know, section for anybody who's into crafting and who really likes making their crafting into stories as well. Uh, chapter six, the final chapter, is the GM toolbox. So there's obviously going to be a lot of kind of basic tools in here, tables for all of the new items, so you can use them and things like that. But there's also going to be some really cool stuff that is going to make it to the table, but it's going to be the GM who kind of decides the where and the how of it, right? So this includes artifacts. And some of these are, you know, named artifacts that we've already talked about in this setting. Like Shaylin, the goddess, she's got her glaive, Whisperer of Souls. We're going to give you the stats for that. There's stats for, you know, Kate and Kaylian's mug. Uh, and that is, you know, both a weapon and a cool usable item that you find back there. Uh, I've been really kind of trying to decide whether to give away this one spoiler because we're still actually in development on it. And who knows about the particulars that will change. Uh, but after thinking about it for a while, this is PaizoCon, right? Y'all deserve something cool. Uh, this has a special class of artifact where you interact with it and that artifact no longer does anything for somebody else, but it permanently changes you in a major character affecting way, right? So it will become a kind of identifying aspect of you, the, the way that it looks, the powers that it gave you, something has now permanently become a part of your character. And as I said, this one is still, we're still working on this section. We're not even totally done with it yet. So some of these things might change. But the goal here is like, you know, I want something that's like a free archetype, but I don't actually want the flavor of an archetype. I want something that's more like, you know, the character Luffy from One Piece or Itadori Yuji from Jujutsu Kaisen, where I found this weird, horrific artifact, and I ate it, or I accidentally put it on, or whatever, and now this is me, forever, for, for the rest of time, I am permanently one with this artifact, and, you know, becomes a really cool kind of story interface uh, that the GM can use as the core for an entire campaign, or that can be that one thing that really makes your character 
just enough different from everybody else's in this kind of cool, spicy way. So that's all six chapters of the book. Uh, we've got about 17 minutes left here. I know Jason is hungry to start demanding his spoilers, so I will uh, I will soft toss the mic back to him so he can start feeding himself. <laughs> so, so yeah, just, just so we know. Uh, I just got word from Pisa. We don't actually have a panel after this, so we can actually run all the way up to, to three o'clock. So we will get some Q&A in this Q&A panel. We're, we're not going to run out of time. We're going to be close, but we're not going to quite run out. So, but before we get to that, I, I, you know, it's not a Pathfinder Q&A panel without getting some spoilers. I, I'm hungry for spoilers. And I want spoilers about Dark Archive. I want spoilers about Treasure Vault. I just want spoilers. Boy, I think the people at home, they deserve some interesting spoilers. So I'm going to go ahead and start because I've got one on tap. And that is, uh, I'm really excited about the new system, uh, the new rules and the new uh, poisons that exist in Treasure Vault. There is a bunch of really great poisons in there from really low level stuff to, you know, incredibly high level poisons that are going to make your characters quiver and weep. Um, things like uh, a chase, a chase kicks kiss. I always mispronounce that name. It is a 20th level poison that does a absolutely ridiculous amount of damage. And if it kills you within a minute, your body decomposes away to nothing. And, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, an, uh, the assassin's gift. So uh, I'm really excited about that. There's a bunch of great poisons in here. I'm mostly excited because I had to kind of look deeply into the poison system and, and take a bunch of poison damage to get it all to line up. But I'm, I'm very excited about the direction it's going to go. So spoilers, folks. Spoilers. Logan, spoilers. Give me spoilers, Logan. I want them. <laughs> I was still muted. Uh, we had a question in the Discord about whether there are any deity-related items. So I'm going to combine that with uh, the tattoos. Um, so I wrote the tattoos section for Treasure Vault. And one of them is a faith tattoo that you get uh, out of your devotion to your deity. Um, and it's going to uh, let you kind of say, like, see, I promise I really love Caden Kalian. And you can show off your tattoo of, of uh, uh, Caden's <laughs> mug or whatever. Uh, there's also uh, some other categories of tattoos. I did a bunch of like research into um, types of tattoos, frequent imagery on tattoos. So I have like ones that are based on different cultures, tattoos, ones for Galarian specifically, like an orc tattoo. Ones are like, here's a bunch of different types of flowers. What could they mean? And you can get a tattoo of those. So there's a lot of cool options for that in this book. Mm, that's a that's a tasty spoiler. I like that spoiler. That 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 hit the spot. James, can can I get a, a, a main course spoiler? Sure, sure, Jason, sure. Um, <laughs> one of the things in this book that uh, I just finished working on actually is a uh, increased is an increase to the number of assistive items. Uh, these were first introduced in Grand Bazaar by Sarah Thompson and uh, expanded out in Guns and Gears with a more steampunky version of them, and Treasure Vault has a number of cool new assistive items in them. Some of them are kind of just uh, building out sort of the base level things like uh, magical eyes that you can see through, or uh, or some more like a, a, a traveler's wheelchair for your animal companion, for instance. Um, that are kind of at a base level, but of course if we have a base level, we also are in a high fantasy game. so. 
we have things like the uh, the Verdant Limb, which is a wooden prosthesis. I think if anybody played Age of Ashes, there was a uh, an NPC in Cult of Cinders who had a really cool kind of like living druidic prosthesis. And this is one that like can bloom flowers and fruits that heal you, for instance. Or there is one that is made out of ghost and can, uh, you know, you have a ghost arm that you can touch ghosts with. Um, and it's just a really cool section that I think, uh, you know, builds out a, a lot of the basic options and then iterates on them with cool fantasy versions. And also like, if you are a species that has, you know, tremor sense, you can get uh, these additional tremor sensing uh, you know, tremor sensing sensors, tremor sensing sen sensors, uh, and that kind of thing. So it, it really does a nice little arc. Uh, it even has a few more assistive companions, like the leg chair uh, from Grand Bazaar. Now you have the ooze form chair, which is an ooze based companion that can like extend out pseudopods and that sort of thing. It's very cool. That is really cool. I just finished a pass on that myself. And uh, you took the ooze chair, which is what I was going to mention. Uh, but there's also like a, a ball of roots that rolls along that you ride atop oh. of. Uh, I, it's got a lot of uh, uh, possibility like for it. some fun, exciting adventures. So that's a that's a delicious main course. I appreciate, James, how you're you're tired of my shtick. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate the opportunity to get spoilers. <laughs> My shtick will not yet end. Mike, I have had an appetizer and a main course spoiler. I need a dessert spoiler, Mike. Dessert. Give me a dessert spoiler. <laughs> so uh, we have, people have found out that we have hobgoblin weapons in here. And I mentioned earlier that we put the Earthbreaker in here. Well, one of the things that we needed to make some of these cool weapons were new traits. Uh, and one of the things that the Hobgoblin weapons and the Earthbreaker have in common is the raising trait. And what the raising trait does is it means this piece of equipment is really, really good at messing up other pieces of equipment. So if somebody blocks with their shield and you have a Hobgoblin breaching pike in your hand, that pike is going to mess their shield up extra bad when they try to block with it. Or maybe you're playing a Shawanti warrior and uh, you've got your Earthbreaker and you're taking out a, a caravan that is uh, trespassing through uh, your lands, maybe smuggling some kind of nasty stuff. You're going to mess those vehicles up when you come in and start smashing tires with your Earthbreaker because this new raising trait makes these things all really nasty and really powerful against any kind of stationary or uh, blocking item, shields, vehicles, all that stuff. You're going to have a whole new way to be your GM's least favorite person when he starts rolling out the siege engines on you. <laughs> yeah, before before I, I, I mention this, I, I'm going to say that we are, we are about to enter the Q&A, so if folks have questions, feel free to throw them in chat. I am monitoring them, and we'll pick some of us them for us to answer. Um, I, I'm excited about the new armor and weapons in here just because some of the old favorites come back. I am excited for the Beck to Corbin to make its return to the game. It has always been an important weapon. No, it's not. But I, I'm excited to see it nonetheless. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sad that we did not find a way to include the Bohemian Ear Spoon, but uh, you know, I guess that'll have to wait for Treasure Vault 2 the revenge of the kobold um so there we go folks that has been a round of spoilers i uh if, if i don't get any questions i'm gonna have to ask for more spoilers so uh let's see i got a no, don't tempt them jason <laughs> no i know now it's just gonna be dead silent <laughs> um Lord. 
Let's see. I've got a question here. Uh, question. What totally unofficial variant house rule do you suggest GMs use for adjudicating class DCs on classes without listed class DCs? Well, I don't think we need a house rule for that. That's, I mean, if you don't have a class DC, you're at least standard, right? I do want to also say, you know, before I get too deep into this, because I have to do this every year, <laughs> let's not ask rules questions that we're going to have to go to the book and answer. Let's let's keep it on yeah. philosophy and topic, because the moment they become questions about specific rules, that means I have to go and open up a book and no one's going to want to watch the panel while that happens. Trust me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've we tried that once a long time ago. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it, uh, it was not fun. It was not fun. Um, so I got a question about the adjustments to alchemists that are coming. I don't know if we want to talk about any of those yet. Is there anything we want to say about any adjustments to alchemists that we got coming down the pike? I, I think we've said pretty much everything we're ready to say at this moment in time on that front. I, I yeah, appreciate I, I person's curiosity but <laughs> it, it, expect them to be relatively small in scope we're not like redesigning the whole class um it's more like helping out specific builds that uh like filling gaps essentially stuff that wasn't future proofed as fully as it could be that sort of thing and sort of like in a similar way to some spellcasters it's also like the alchemist is a class that of course benefits a lot from what alchemical items are in the game so there's kind of a couple ways we can approach that problem uh, you know, we have just twice been like, hey, let's answer this question. You know what? We've already answered that question. Moving along. So I will throw one more spoiler that is alchemist related out there. One of the cool new Alchemy Unleashed items are cocktails. And cocktails are elixirs that have basically kind of two brackets of effects. And you pick which effects you're going to put together at the time that you mix it. Now, this is kind of great for everybody if you want to, like, really customize your loadout for the day. But if you happen to be an alchemist with quick alchemy, this means you are Tom Cruise on the battlefield being like, yep, we want a little of this, a little of this, ho, ho, ho. And I've got something that's not just tailored for the adventuring day, but is tailored for this exact moment in time. If you're going to play Tom Cruise on the battlefield, you also need to take a feat to get extra speed. So he can run. <laughs> oh, come on. All right. Always running. Always running. Uh, I got a question here about uh, if if we could tell more about being a vessel from Dark Archive. I'm not sure I quite get that reference. Uh, James, do you this know what is that the living? About? Yes, this is the living, the vessel, living vessel archetype. Yeah. It is the one with, or it's the ritualist. The art is actually the ritualist from the APG, and the ritual dagger is broken, and now a giant Shoggoth is coming out of his shadow. Um. The For living sure. <laughs> vessel is an archetype where something has been kind of sealed in you, whether that's, you know, because you made some sort of pact or whether that's because, you know, you kind of uh, got sacrificed in one of the many cult rituals. Basically, the living vessel lets you have this thing within you that uh, what happens for everybody is, you know, it gives you some abilities. And the biggest one is that, like, uh, if you go below zero HP, you can keep going, but you are not driving anymore. The vessel is, or the entity is driving. Um, and these can be, and your entity can be anything from, like, a, from, like, a fae to a demon to an outer, to, like, an outer entity of some kind. Um, so you have some abilities that all living vessels can do. Like, they can manifest parts of their entity out to attack with as a special kind of unarmed strike. Uh, and then they have some like specific abilities that depend on what your entity is. So like the outer 
the outer entity one obviously does like mental damage and and that kind of thing. The Fey one lets you kind of shatter into laughing duplicates. So it's a way that you can kind of uh, role play having this like other thing inside you that you have to kind of appease or else if you don't appease it, it can like start to try to take over. I think it's really cool. That is really cool. Um, Logan, I had a question in here about uh, uh, someone wondering if there were plans to readjust any of the other classes. I don't know that we want to talk specifically about any classes we want to adjust, but I do want to talk, I'm wondering if you could tell a few sentences about how we are looking at classes and how things adjust going forward, if that makes sense. Uh, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. There aren't any plans to do like big overhauls or anything. Like we're not looking at like, Pathfinder Unchained 2E. Um, usually, uh, whenever possible, we look for ways to to fix things through um, through more sustainable methods than like going back and doing vast amounts of errata. And frankly, most classes don't really need that anyway. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect any like giant changes um, or anything like that. Uh, it's something we always keep an eye on in case something really needs uh, needs that. But most of them we've built a structure around them where we can plug stuff in later if it really feels necessary. Yeah, I, I, I feel like our general policy is to nudge, right? It's, yeah. especially yeah. with stuff that's out, we don't wanna change it so much that people are like, wow, this is a different thing. And now the book that I bought is no longer relevant. It's more like, well, we nudged it. Let's nudge it a little here and there. But I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. and, uh, and a lot of the changes see, for the Alchemist are like, well, actually, you can choose these things instead of just the two that we gave you, right? It's that that kind of thing. Uh, the biggest change we made was like adding the special flashback ability uh, in the, I think that was the second printing of the core rulebook. That's kind of like the biggest change we've made so far. Yeah. Um, Mike, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the Treasure Vault Dragon and his kobold friend. What's their deal? Okay, I want to know. so... Uh, so Velashinaz is an underworld dragon. She has a huge network of vaults. Uh, I don't think I ever lock that number in, but there are a few little commentaries where as uh, as uh, <laughs> the kobold is taking you through the vaults, she's like, and here in display case 756-18, just to give you like an idea of how, how deep and vast these things are. Um, they each have their own distinct personalities. The underworld dragon, she is an underworld dragon. So she's a little uh, maybe dismissive of people who aren't dragons from time to time. A little bit kind of cruel and offhanded when discussing uh, her kobold minions. Uh, and then the kobold is intensely uh, earnest and eager uh about being helpful uh though maybe they are more earnest about being helpful than they are consistently helpful uh as <laughs> as you might have picked up a little bit from the cover art <laughs> i uh i'm looking forward to making another animated gif of that poor kobold <laughs> being buried in treasure i i think i'm gonna have to do that it's gonna take some work but uh, I am excited for it. Folks, we are uh, just about out of time here today. I want to thank you all for coming. There's been a lot of questions here that we couldn't answer all of. We will hop over to the Discord. I do want to say this very briefly. There's been a lot of folks asking about when the next playtest will be. 
Um, I, I'm not going to give you specific details about this, but I would say that, you know, normally we announce play tests right around Gen Con and that's, you know, only two months away. So, you know, just, just, just going to say that in general. I'm just talking in generalities. So, uh, you know, you might want to book out some time after Gen Con. All right. That's what I have, uh, folks here today. Yeah, I'm real subtle. Uh, Thank you all for watching. I want to thank uh, the rest of... Which, which way am I looking? All right. I want to thank the rest of the design team for, for hanging out and uh, giving an excellent panel. I want to thank you all for coming. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your PaizoCon online. This is the end of our paneling. I believe there is still a live game later on today. But I do want to thank you all for coming and thank you for enjoying PaizoCon online. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. <laughs>